This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Appreciate everybody listening. Thanks so much for being here throughout the week as we close out the summer. And the Labor Day is staring us straight in the head. Uh, and this is one time in which I think a lot of people are saying, I'm not too sad to see summer go, uh, especially if you live in the Four Seasons area of the, the Northeast, because uh, things have been crazy really since March when we shut everything down, which, by the way, Joe Biden says he wants to do. Wait a second. He doesn't want to do. Was I paying attention in the beginning or now? Ronna McDaniel will be on with us shortly. She runs the RNC. What a great job she did at the convention. I think Democrats would even tell you that. That momentum has allowed the president to really uh, shake the core of the Biden camp. How would I know that? Because he's on the road again, first to Pennsylvania. Now he's back in Wisconsin today. The president will be heading over to North Carolina. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I take responsibility for trusting uh, the word of a neighborhood salon that I've been to over the years. As it turns out, it was a setup. So I take responsibility for falling for a setup. (laughs) No one's buying it. The Pelosi Palooza. It was a setup. Yes, the salon setup. The speaker claims her illegal haircut was all a plan to get her. The problem, no one believes it, and salon owner, the salon owner fires back with logic and reason, proving once again Washington has no intention of living up to the horrible rules they oppress us with, and there are more examples of leaders coming your way. Number two. Why is now the right time for you to go to Kenosha, and what do you hope to accomplish? Tomorrow? You raised $364.5 million your campaign in the DNC last month. How are you going to spend it? I, I know you always ask a hostile question, but go ahead. Why were you still hosting crowded campaign rallies in March? Hyden Biden speaks to the press. What was he asked? How did he answer? And why is he flip-flopping on every key issue? Also, the polls are in. We'll review. Number one. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. He can't come back to New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. That was a threat. He says it wasn't, but it's a threat. Uh, Unrest in reality. Can you believe the challenge from Governor Cuomo to the president of the United States? I think the president should take him up on the challenge. And there are two more controversial law enforcement interactions resulting in two deaths. One in Rochester, New York, where the governor should be watching over. And uh, one happened in Washington, D.C., while William Barr weighs in on the reality of blacks and cops. Plus, we will provide the details about the latest unrest in Seattle, Portland, and so much more. As you can see, I have a lot to get to. I'm so glad to be here to be able to get to it. So let's talk about Governor Cuomo. He's upset because the president of the United States puts together a six-page memo. And he said, wait a second. Why am I giving all this federal funds to these cities when they're not even funding their police? In fact, they're defying their police and these hostile mayors towards uh, any help that he offers from Chicago to Portland to New York and uh, and, uh, Seattle. So he said, listen, I sent federal agents into uh, Portland, did their job, but they were hot. They were treated terribly 
by the local officials. In fact, state cops were told not to help them out at all. So we pulled them out. And guess what? Everything got worse in Portland. So now you have Joe Biden coming out and saying, this is Trump's America. In Trump's America, that's where all this unrest is happening. So the president said, OK, what else can I do? What I'm going to do is try to urge these mayors to act. They're not. And then I'm going to offer these mayors help. And for the most part, they're not taking it. It's 50 into Chicago to help them out. They're making some impact, some mass arrests on the federal level. That'll help. But they're not helping. They says, listen, they're not they're hostile towards me. It's like getting on my report card. My opponent's blaming me for this. So I'm going to say, listen, you're not getting your millions and billions if you're going to cut money from law enforcement and not crack on crack down on the Antifa people elements uh, in your midst. And that's when Governor Cuomo comes back and says what he just said. I'll let you hear the whole soundbite. So within five minutes of this coming out, this hot headed guy from Queens says this. Cut six. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. Good riddance. Let him go to Florida. Be careful not to get COVID. He can't come back to New York. He can't. He's going to walk down the street in New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. No, New Yorkers don't want to have anything to do with him. And he knows it. Okay. A couple of things. You wouldn't know this from around the country. I know we have great affiliates all around and people stream, and we're getting calls from London and Germany and Israel. But you wouldn't know this, but just just understand this. There's 36,000 police officers here. They've been left to drive by their mayor. They've been told not to act by their governor, and they've been blamed for everything. And yet they're dying in record numbers from the COVID virus, forced as essential workers, forced to work through the pandemic. We're still trying to find out what it was about, and we still, for the most part, don't know. You know who stood up for the men in blue and the women? It's been the President of the United States. You know who got endorsement from the the largest police union? President of the United States. Uh, From everybody. That's 700,000 strong. That includes the 36,000 in New York. Now, Governor Cuomo, not only are you— doing something totally inappropriate by calling out the president. Not only was it inappropriate for the mayor to write Black Lives Matter in the street across from Trump Tower when you know he doesn't live there, but you're wrong. He not only has his own Secret Service, he has 36,000 members of the men and women in blue who will have his back, not yours. And if you want to know how hypocritical Cuomo is and why you shouldn't believe him now and why he should have somebody in the staff to say count to 10 before you make these statements, here is Cuomo in March and April. Cut seven. Kudos where kudos are due. And here the vice president and the president responded very quickly. Uh, So I want to thank them for that. He has been good in delivering for New York. He has. He is uh, he has. He has delivered for New York. Uh, he is ready, willing, and able to help. Do I have faith in the president? Look, what the federal government did, working with states, as I just said, was a phenomenal accomplishment. The federal government stepped up and was a great partner. And I'm the first one to say it. Uh, we needed help, and they were there. Even to one of his, even to one of his biggest critics, uh, Howard Stern, these days. Uh, biggest critic of Trump, can't stand him, hanging out with Jimmy Kimmel too much, perhaps. Who knows? So he even said that. So am I supposed to believe him then or now? When you needed him most, he was there. Now you blame him for the fact that the virus took root when Europeans visited, according to reports. They might change. But as of now, they say the European tourists came and visited. We didn't know anything about the virus. 
Even Taiwan was trying to figure out what was happening in the virus, and they acted brilliantly. And South Korea, too, who's experiencing a mini second wave, by the way. So you blame Trump for the December incoming European tourists, let alone the West Coast where they really came from China or any Chinese that visited? That's interesting. But the thing is, with all these politicians, even even the doctors, we know a lot now as American citizens. You're not going to snow us with any fear mongering or or reassurance. We've made our own opinions about how to be safe. So I just thought that was totally inappropriate. I want to start with that. I want to challenge it. The governor's listening, and I know where we go on local affiliate WABC next hour. I'll bring it up again. Uh, call in. I guarantee you the president wouldn't need an army. By the way, he actually has an army. And if you want to know if the president's popular in New York, I did a celebrity stroll with him a year before he ran for president, or six months, or three months before he ran and made it official in 2015. So we just walk the streets, and part of the theory was whatever happens, happens. We have a conversation, but if people on the outside want to come up and talk to that celebrity, whether it's Willie Robertson or Regis Philbin, they would do it. And when I did the president, who was then just a businessman, here's some of the interaction. We're waiting at Trump Tower. Hi, everybody. It's never been like this. I guess it was the show. And yes, come. Uh, uh, real fast one. From Brazil. Go ahead. Let's go. Costa Rica. Thanks, Brian. We're supposed to do a stroll. We can't get out of the building. Now let's take a walk down the block. Is this one of the reasons Hello, why everybody. it's hard for you? It's hard. It's hard for you to go out? It is a little bit hard. You know, in the old days, I'd look at real estate. Today, I can't do that. I have to sit in a car. And you said, I'm used to that, and I had to go and chop. Right. Hey, how are you? Look at him. Good. You seem to have this natural relationship with the so-called blue-collar work. Well, you see it when we walk down the street, you know. Right. The people that like me the best are the middle class and poor people. The rich people hate me. That's true. <laughs> How do you explain rich, them? Because I think they're jealous because they want to be fed. Do you notice this? Or do you not even notice this Hello, anymore? Hello, folks. I don't notice it too much. Hello, everybody. How are you? How are you? Hello, everybody. Thanks. Well, I mean, look at the response. And you haven't seen anybody screaming, oh, I hate you, Trump. They love, they love Trump. Yeah. Because I love the country, and they want what's good for the country. Right. And they know I'm the one that can do it. Say that? Yeah. Lumber company. Those are the guys. You like Donald Trump? <laughs> Have a good time, man. Wow, that was good. Uh, Eric and Pete pulled that out. That was uh, I didn't even remember that whole shoot, but if you watch the whole thing, these are we these were candid reactions from people in the makeup shop next door to the people refilling the USA Today canister down the block. So that's part of the reason he got elected, and he wants to do it again. Uh, battleground states, he's trailing but closing the gap now. In uh, Joe Biden has uh, 4940. Uh, he has a lease in Arizona. I doubt it. Uh, North Carolina. I saw Trump was in a dead heat. According to the Fox News poll, he's uh, he's got a four point lead in Wisconsin. Eight. Now, this shows it all advancing, closing, but not there yet. Uh, so we'll see where this goes. But the uh, Minnesota is now within one point. So Pennsylvania has the Monmouth poll. It is down to four points. It was 13 points. That is why Joe Biden is out. But just to understand this, you might be voting for Joe Biden and saying he's a great guy. Can't wait for him to be president. But you got to realize this. He needs tough questions because one of the questions is. Why did you switch your t- tune when it came to a mask mandate? You said, I'm going to have a mask mandate if I'm president. Now he backed off of it. Then he says, I'm going to have a lockdown if the scientists tell me. Now he says, I'm not going to lock anything down. Really? I was for, I'm against fossil fuels. We're going to get rid of it. No, I'm, I am, read my lips. I'm, I'm for fracking. So what are we supposed to believe? 
when you tell a young lady in an audience at a live event that you're getting rid of fossil fuels? Or you, when you talked to us two days ago and said, I am not getting rid of fracking. The other big story is the vice president will be going to Kenosha, Wisconsin today. He says he's going to talk to the family, the Blake family, as well as some cops and firefighters and business owners. We'll see. I think the president's going to take Wisconsin again. And those business owners, they've been suffering. That's part of the reason. But the other big story, I thought, was Bill Barr sat down with Wolf Blitzer yesterday. And I watched it live. I was working out at the time. I put on Sirius Radio, put my earpod, uh, my AirPods in, and I listened. And I was shocked at the, the, uh, the, uh, the hostility from Wolf Blitzer, who wasn't listening to the answers, just wanted to cut off uh, A.G. Barr, and the confidence that Barr continues to show. Number one, when Barr was talking about what's happening with the Floyd case— as opposed to what's happened with the Blake case, he says it's different. First off, he says there's a false narrative in this country that we're a racist country and that every uh, white cop is shooting black uh, suspects. Cut one. I think the narrative that uh, there's a, that the police are on some uh, you know, epidemic of shooting unarmed black men is simply a false narrative, uh, and also the narrative that that's based on race. The fact of the matter is it's very rare for an unarmed African-American to be shot by a white police officer. And those are some of the stats. Now, uh, in terms of law enforcement in New York City, we know it's a mess. We know that uh, Barr talked about the fact that things have to be addressed and people have to be prosecuted, but not every white cop that shoots a black suspect should be prosecuted. And he, he talked about that with this case. And Bill Barr and Wolf Blitzer went at it. It's amazing. I don't know if Wolf Blitzer doesn't read the cases, doesn't see the difference between Floyd and Blake and other situations, or he just has so drunk with his audience, he cannot see the other side. Cut to. Well, I'm not going to talk about Blake, the Blake case. Uh, Why not? Because I think it's different than the Floyd case. What's different? Well, uh, Floyd was already subdued, incapacitated, in handcuffs, and was not armed. Uh, in the in, in the Jacob case, he was in the midst of committing a felony, and he was armed. So uh, that's a big difference his, from the standpoint. His family says he wasn't armed. Well, I think there the, may have been a knife in the car, but he wasn't armed when he was shot. Well, the, that's what his family and his yeah, lawyers said. I, I stated what I believe is to, to be the difference. And they were called to the house. They were called to the house because he had violated a protection order. And we have yet to see the cops out of the story and how he walked through being tased and they felt they had no chance. Do I think on surface as a civilian, seven shots is excessive? Sure. But there's more to the case. And that was his point. We're going to take a timeout, come back with your with your uh, points. We'll talk about Biden and the softball questions he got. And we'll talk about the difference between the president of the United States and Biden. Number one, the president's outworking him. And now it seems as though Biden knows this is a race. The president will be in Latrobe today, uh, Pennsylvania. I misspoke before at the Arnold Palmer Regional Airport and the vice president will be in North Carolina. The Melania will be doing an event on uh, on drugs and, and drug control. And that'll be great. Uh, I think it's very important to get her out and about. Listen, Jill's out there. Why not Melania? Uh, when we come back, your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669 and your emails at BrianKillMe.com. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. There is going to be no need, in my view, to be able to shut down the whole economy. I got asked by David Muir a question if I was asked to shut everything down. I took that as a generic question, If am I going to follow the science? But just take it as it says. You keep on saying when you misstate things, Joe Biden, or have to contradict yourself because you know you said something wrong, I misunderstood the question, or that's how I took the question. It's not a hard question. Here's what he did say, cut 10. If you're sworn in come January and we have coronavirus and the flu combining, which many scientists have said is a real possibility, would you be prepared to shut this country down again? I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. Yeah, deal with the virus, wear a mask, uh, shut it down. Don't wear a mask. I'll urge governors to tell you wear a mask, and I won't shut it down. There's not going to be a reason for it. This is just part of the reason why this is a double standard. Now, if you're the president, you can't worry about it. But here's an idea. He opens up to questions. He actually has reporters stick to one topic, not try to say, why are you contradicting yourself? Uh, Are you a moderate? What have you said to the left wing? Why did you sign that document with Bernie Sanders? If you're not going to agree to anything he, he says you will do, cut 11. Why is now the right time for you to go to Kenosha, and what do you hope to accomplish tomorrow? If you were president, what would you do to ensure that people are kept safe in situations like these? They announced the format and the moderators of the presidential debates today, and is there anything that could dissuade Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You from participating, and how have you begun to prepare? You raised $364.5 million your campaign in the DNC last month, a record for a monthly haul, apparently. 
How are you going to spend it? There is a new book uh, by the New York Times' Michael Schmidt that says Vice President Pence was told to be on standby to take over. As Vice President, were you ever told to be on standby? Wow, what tough questions. Is this like an eighth grade give and take with your local leader? Or are these a press corps that hasn't been allowed to talk to that candidate for over a month? My goodness, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, you just told me you were going to make everyone wear a mask. You just reversed it. Mr. Vice President, why did you go ahead and tell Bernie Sanders that you're going to be the most progressive president of your lifetime? Are you moderate, like you claimed on Monday? Or are you progressive, severely progressive, like you claimed, that Bernie Sanders claims you are, and that you said that six weeks ago? Hey, when it comes to guns, and you said Beto O'Rourke will be your gun czar, does that mean you're going to take all assault weapons away? Are you going to take down the wall like he wants to do in Texas, too? How about that? That's just off the top of my head. Ronald McDaniel's next. That's the reality. Now the president's got to overcome that. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. People have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government. And people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology, which, as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion, is reckless and dangerous. And the people are playing with fire. That is a very incensed William Barr. To on with Wolf Blitzer, who unbelievably, inexplicably doesn't understand the danger of mailing everybody in a state a ballot according to the voter rolls when, on average, the, an average American moves every two years. Places like North Carolina and Nevada. That danger does not escape Ronna McDaniel, RNC chairwoman. Ronna, welcome back. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Ronna, um, I spoke to Bill Stepien this morning on television, and then we have, uh, I watched William Barr yesterday. Everyone's saying this is a four-alarm fire in Nevada, in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, in Michigan. But these are run by Democrats. What can you actually do to get to make sure that this mail-in ballots do not dominate these states because they're ill-equipped to handle it. Well, well, we're suing in all of these states. The RNC and the Trump campaign are in over 41 lawsuits across the country. Uh, we're hoping the courts will, will recognize that this is folly, that these Democrat governors and legislatures are upending t- tried and tested, vetted procedures for running elections. 90 days out from an election, it is going to insert chaos. I loved that interview last night with with A.G. Barr and Wolf Blitzer because he was so right on on what this is going to do November 3rd to our elections if either side feels uncertain in the outcome. The problem is all the ballots don't even have to be in on Election Day. Five battleground Mm -hmm. states say ballots can be in on and on or after Election Day. Uh, Ohio has to be postmarked 11-2 and received by 11-13. In North Carolina, received by 11-3 or 11-6. Minnesota, 11-3 and 11-10. I mean, this has got to worry even the Biden camp. It, it is a huge problem. So we, we took this to the Supreme Court in Wisconsin during the primary. They had said that ballots received after Election Day could be counted even if they were not postmarked by Election Day, which is crazy. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the RNC. If you look up this case, it's RNC versus DNC. The Supreme Court said absolutely not. We're hoping 
that as we take these states to court, that the Supreme Court will follow the same ruling they did with Wisconsin this last April. But this is deeply concerning to our democracy, and Democrats are pushing this across the country. They are changing the laws, even when Dr. Fauci has said it is safe to vote in person, even when Michigan conducted a primary on August 4th where a million voters voted in person, there has been no spike in COVID. So this is a myth that they are perpetuating to expand mail-in voting, which means they're, they're inserting chaos and the potential for fraud. I talked to a voter last week who had received three ballots to her home, three ballots, not absentee request forms, three ballots for a different woman that had never lived at her address. And this is happening all across the country. So when it comes to rejected ballots, there's a 1% chance of a mail-in vote being rejected and a 1 in 100th chance of an in-person ballot being rejected. So if you care about your ballot and your vote— and there are more, and there are there are things that are taken into account, like more uh, polling places. You're better off showing up in person. But the problem is, 47 percent of all Biden people plan to mail it in. Two thirds of all Trump people plan on showing up in person. So it's legitimate that there could be. Oh, you could think you could win on election day, but by the time these other ballots are counted with all these weird rules, there could be another verdict, and that will divide the country. It will divide the country. We just saw this in New York 27 with Chris Jacobs. He won Election Day by 40 percent. But when the absentees came in, that that uh, that win shrunk to just within single digits. So it is a huge discrepancy. And this is why New Jersey just shut down in-person voting, because they know Republicans are more more likely to vote in person. So that's the other thing Democrats are doing. They're expanding mail-in voting. Uh, Republicans don't feel as safe with that. And then they're shutting down polling locations and actually limiting in-person voting, which is a part of voter suppression. Voters should be able to vote in person if they feel like that's more safe. So we are encouraging people to vote early in person if that's what they feel more comfortable with. That way you go to your township clerk or your um, county supervisor and you can vote in person. This is how I vote often. I just go a couple weeks before Election Day, and I fill out my ballot and turn it in right there in person. So the president, I'll just paraphrase, yesterday he said, you can mail in your ballot, then go try to vote up in person, especially if you support me. What did he mean by that? Well, he's saying if you want to verify that your vote's been counted, just don't guarantee that it's been done by absentee. Show up on Election Day and make sure that your vote has been counted. If it hasn't, make sure you vote in person. Because if you have voted absentee, it should be taken off the voter rolls at that point. So test the system and make sure it's working, he's saying. So I'm looking at the Fox News poll. President's trailing uh, by nine in Wisconsin, by nine in North Carolina. Um, he's trailing by about four in Pennsylvania. Although, is that what your polling says? It's not. And if I heard Bill on your show today. He's like, I love Fox, but I don't love your polls. I mean, you guys start with a very high, high level of Democrats as your baseline. I think it's 48 percent. And that's been your standard across the board for the whole election cycle. And that's way too high. Um, Usually it should be somewhere in the 30s. It should be a larger margin than Republicans. But I won't get in the weeds there. We have the president doing very well in these battleground states and up in most of them. Um, But it is tight. There's no question that this is a tight race. Uh, But we have seen a a rising trajectory from the president since the Mount Rushmore speech, and he continues to gain ground on Biden. And you know how we all know this is true? Because Biden's finally leaving the basement. There's no way he'd be leaving the basement if he thought he were winning handily across the country. 
So how do you deal with somebody that's running as a moderate, but yet people fear everybody around him is going to push him left, who said, I want to be a progressive president? Uh, do I look at someone who is not, uh, who is a, who's not for law and order, but yet the people around him and the mayors that govern these cities are allowing this, this chaos to take place? How do you get someone to commit to a position you think they will hold if they get the job when they say they don't? Well, you know, Biden is not running as a moderate. I mean, he stood on the stage and said he'd eliminate fracking, and then he goes to Pennsylvania and says, I never said that. You know, so we're holding him accountable to his words, and and he also endorsed getting rid of cash bail, which has been a huge problem in New York, as de Blasio has, you know, the police department catches these people that are looting and rioting and burning down buildings and then releases them the very next day so the police have to catch them again. We're not taking criminals off the street. Um, The Democrats have embraced a a more criminal-centric law enforcement mindset than a police-centric law enforcement mindset. I mean, when you're catching criminals and then releasing them the next day, how is that helpful to a community? Um, So, And Biden has endorsed that. So I think Biden is a progressive. I think he's very, very liberal. Uh, We're going to expose that through our ads. I think you're going to see the ads go up very, very soon. They're already up in the Trump campaign in five of the battleground states. And, of course, we have an army of 2 million volunteers that will be knocking doors and talking to voters about this one-on-one on on a personal level. Rana, one thing that Democrats have done better than you guys is sign up new voters by the tens of thousands in North Carolina, in in Florida, which is going to be key, in Michigan, too, and Ohio. So how do you plan on overcoming that? Well, we've actually outpaced the Democrats in voter registration in six battleground states. So we're in a better position in six states than we were in 2016. Florida, North Carolina, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Iowa. We actually just took overtook them in Iowa in August. Um, Michigan's a 96% voter reg state, so um, it's it's an AVR state where you're automatically voter reg when you get your license. So th- that's not as 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 big of a state where where you can make a, a difference. But listen, I think our ground game is the best it's ever been, and I do not see Biden on the ground. So he's going to be all on the airwaves with no ground game. And the RNC, with our army of volunteers and the 2,000 staff we have on the ground, knocking a million doors a day, I think that's going to be a difference maker in getting these low propensity voters and these swing voters to turn out for Trump. Uh, Ronna McDaniel, our guest. Ronna, the other thing that people are looking at is how little money you're spending in Michigan. Are you giving up on the state? Well, no, we're not giving up on the state. The campaign makes the the buy. So that's a Bill Stepien question in terms of TV. But the RNC is fully in in Michigan. We have our whole ground game there. And and I know that the president is fully invested in Michigan. The vice president was just there this week. Ivanka Trump was there yesterday. Uh, So I expect they'll be going on the air um, any day now. Understood. You did a phenomenal job in four weeks, you got together four days that if the Donald if Donald Trump wins four more years, they'll point back to that. You went from Charlotte, all in, big crowd, to Jacksonville, all in, big crowd, to no Jacksonville, no Charlotte, come up with something else. How, now looking back, even though you're in the middle of an election, what was the toughest part of that? Uh It was all incredibly tough. I think there were a lot of sleepless nights for a lot of folks. Um, What I will say is it shows that the team, that the campaign and the RNC have created, and I credit a lot of people with pulling this off. It it was not just me. It was a whole team of people coming together. But I will say 
the president and the vision we put forward early, which is we want to tell stories through the eyes of real Americans, and we want to give that type of narrative. And that was the, the overwhelming goal early, early on, and I think we absolutely accomplished that with our convention. I want you to hear what Carl Rove said, and I know you respect him. He certainly, I find him great TV. Cut 14. The president's base is with him, and no president ever gets elected. Nobody ever gets elected president by on the basis of their base only. And so the president has to continue to do what he did during the, during the Republican convention, and that is make an appeal for a broader group of people, for suburbanites, particularly college-educated women who may like what he's doing but don't like how he's done it, by African-American voters, particularly young black males who say, you know what, when, when, when 17, 18, and 19, I actually had better prosperity than I had when Barack Obama was president, and it's because of the policies of, of, uh, of Donald Trump. And have you shown a plan to expand that base since the convention? Yes, we have. I mean, we've opened offices in urban communities. We're, we're out. Uh, we are committed to outreach, not just to African-American and black voters, but to Hispanic voters and Asian voters. And we have specifically set up offices in, in cities across the country targeting those voters and, and actually not about just getting their vote, but talking to them about the Republican Party. For too long, we haven't shown up in in these communities and said this is what our party stands stands for and we would like you to be part of it and so by being there for for years which we've been in many of these places now uh, with the puerto rican community in orlando um, we have a mandarin only speaking office in in california these are the types of things mm. these conversations we're having which will expand our outreach just like you saw with our convention president's going to be in north carolina excuse me in pennsylvania today uh what is the rest of the schedule look like straight ahead you know, he's going to be on the road. Uh, I talked to him last night, uh, and he's doing other things every night that people aren't seeing, calling into states. And last night we did a fundraiser, uh, a Zoom fundraiser. This is an incredibly busy individual, and he does not like to sit still. So he will be on the road more and more and more uh, across the country, all, all across the country. But this is the thing, Brian. Uh, I think that this is the best position this pre this party has been to reach out to new voters because of this president. He is taking policies on the road of cutting taxes, of deregulation. These are messages that are resonating. And as Joe Biden goes out and he says, I'm going to raise taxes on 82 percent of American households, and people are actually hearing the policies that he's putting forward, mm -hmm. more and more voters are coming our way. What did Melania show you in that speech that might be able to win over suburban women who have been reluctant to come in the 2020 version of President Trump? I thought she was fantastic. I thought her acknowledgement of the of the racial issues that we're dealing in this country, of the sorrow people are feeling over coronavirus, who are losing loved ones, who have that concern, was phenomenal. And I think she's such a great asset to our party and our president. I know her very well, and I, I'm just so proud of the speech she gave. But beyond that, Brian, and I'll just say this as a suburban mom, this school issue is a huge issue. And I, I said this yesterday on TV. My son is taking virtual ceramics two hours a day, <laughs> oh um, two hours every other day, sitting at home in front of a computer for seven hours to, doing school. Why couldn't they figure out a way to make the electives a half hour? This is not good for our kids. And I'm talking to all my other mom friends, and we are all frustrated by this virtual school for the public schools. 
Um, and and I think this is really going to hurt Democrats that they have. Put but Joe Biden blamed the president this. for this, Rana. He he was he had a speech yesterday and said the reason the only reason we're not all back in school is because the president didn't provide leadership there. But it's not. It's the unions. I mean, why on earth are these kids being strapped in front of a computer for seven hours a day virtually? Why couldn't they figure out a way to condense it? Why what, two hours of ceramics online? It's crazy. And the president is the one early on who said we need to get back to school and we can do it safely. And it's the Democrats who said absolutely not. And I think this is turning on them. That's why Biden did that speech yesterday. I cannot even tell you how many moms I'm talking to who are so frustrated, and they know it's coming from our Democrat governor and Democrat politicians who don't want to see our kids in school. Well, I think she could be your secret weapon, uh, Melania Trump, if she wasn't had a busy campaign schedule, even if she split out on her own. But that's going to be ultimately her decision and your tactics. Ronna McDaniel, congratulations on a great convention. I think Democrats would even do the same thing uh, because you really pulled it off. Uh, congratulations. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Go get them. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we open up the phones on Governor Cuomo telling the president, I dare you to come back to New York. You couldn't walk the streets here. Uh, as well as Nancy Pelosi says it was all a setup. I don't buy either one of those statements. Maybe you do. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This has been one of the most challenging and difficult things we have ever had to endure as a family. It baffles me that some people out there, including some politicians, uh, will take the idea of wearing masks and make it a political agenda, part of a political agenda, politicizing it. It has nothing to do with politics. Wear your mask. It is a fact. And it is the right thing to do. And that is uh, The Rock saying his whole family, two and four year old, and his and he and his wife all have uh, positive of COVID nineteen. No idea if they're asymptomatic. He looks healthy, but tested positive. Uh, let's go out to Joe. Listen on WRCN in Long Island, Joe. Brian, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. How what, are you? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, listen. Trump is Mister New York. I heard you play that clip before. I couldn't believe it. Uh, Como's a sick cookie. Let me tell you, he's having some type of midlife crisis. Uh, Trump has been Mr. New York since the early 80s. New York loves Trump. I'm telling you, Cuomo is envious of Trump's success. And you got to remember, Cuomo's the guy in 2018 that said America was never great. Then he says he called ICE thugs. Cuomo has failed on every level. I can tell you, New York was a fiscal disaster, $6 billion in debt before COVID. Then Cuomo, I say negligent homicide at best. With his March 25th directive, he killed those people by putting that positive COVID patient in the nursing home. And we're up to 15,000. This man was such a disaster. 40,000 New Yorkers died on his watch because of his incompetence. And Cuomo's so jealous. He had to have a, a Tapping Deep Bridge renamed uh, after his father because he's so jealous of Trump Tower, Trump everything. Trump always has a place at my dinner table. This is Trump country. And I'm telling you, like the 69 Mets and Tom Terrific, Trump's going to take New York. That's what he thinks, but I don't sure. As long as there's people in the city. But uh, I agree with you, Joe. 
Jason in the house, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We come to you from New York and heard around the country, around the world. Uh, This hour, we're going to be joined by Steve Hayes, Fox News contributor, editor, and CEO of The Dispatch. Pretty cool newsletter that's out. And Daniel Luskin, chief investment officer of Trend Macro, who wrote a great column in The Wall Street Journal about the failed experiment of COVID lockdowns. You know the hell we've been going through as a country? The biggest family, the smallest family, the biggest business, the smallest business. And how we all have been affected. Maybe it was for nothing. And he brings up some pretty compelling evidence. So we have a lot to go over today, including a battle between the governor of New York and the president of the United States. Again, here we go again. If you ever missed the show, go to BrianKillMeadShow.com. Download the podcast. You can get that at iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, wherever. You have no excuse not to listen as we get closer and closer to Labor Day. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I take responsibility for trusting uh, the word of a neighborhood salon that I've been to over the years. As it turns out, it was a setup. So I take responsibility for falling for a setup. That is not true. Does anyone buy that? Pelosi Palooza. It was a setup. The speaker claims her illegal haircut indoors in California, where both are prevented, was a setup. The problem, no one believes her, and the salon owner fires back with logic and proof. Uh, Once again, Washington is showing has no intention of living up to the oppressive rules they make us live with. And there are more examples of leaders coming your way. Number two. Why is now the right time for you to go to Kenosha, and what do you hope to accomplish today? You raised $364.5 million, your campaign in the DNC last month. How are you going to spend it? I, I know you always ask a hostile question, but go ahead. Why were you still hosting crowded campaign rallies in March? Yes, that was uh, Peter Ducey. Hyden Biden speaks to the press. What was asked, how he answered, and yet again, a flip-flop on major issues. Also, new polls are in. We'll review. Number one. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. He can't come back to New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. Really? That sounds to me like a threat from an angry governor. Uh, can you believe this? Unrest and re- uh, un- unrest and re- reality. Can you believe the challenge from Governor Cuomo to President Trump? I think the president should take him up on the challenge. And there are two more controversial law enforcement interactions resulting in two deaths last night. Spark protests in Rochester, spark protests in D.C., while William Barr weighs in on the reality of blacks and cops. Plus, we'll provide the details about the latest unrest in Seattle, Portland, and more. On the unrest last night, this, uh, this video came together in Rochester, New York, that shows a man that was uh, it shows cops reacting to a call that showed a man was out of control and he was mentally damaged. And when they tried to control him, he started spitting on them. And when they started spitting on him, they put the anti-spit sack on his head. He ends up dying of asphyxiation. So there's a lot more to it, but he was black. Cops were white. Hence, we have protests that took place. 
And that was in Rochester. Well, a lot of Black Lives Matter showed up there, which was key. And then in D.C., there was a shooting. Two men with guns. Cops were in pursuit. They got shot at. They shot back. One guy died. So let's police that because the guy happened to uh, be black. On the first case, uh, the first case came together. His name is Daniel Prude in Rochester. Uh, He has a wrongful death, they claim. Uh, The police chief there said the... Attorney General is investigating the incident while internal investigations were ordered the day of. Family members say what's happened was cold-blooded murder. Evidently, Joe Prude called police to report he was having mental health issues. Daniel Prude, who had taken off his clothes, complied with responding officers. Daniel's the problem. Joe wasn't. And asked him to put his hands behind his back and get on the ground as light snow continued to fall. During the May 20, March 23rd encounter, officers put a spit hood over his head, the garments used to protect them because he kept spitting on them. Plus, in this virus time, you don't want to get something somebody else has. Spit hood's been scrutinized as a factor in his death. Uh, while on the ground, Prude demanded the hood be removed before an officer allegedly slammed his head into the street. Never good. Another reportedly held his head against the pavement while ordering to stop spitting. His head was down for two minutes. He ended up dying. Tragedy all around. But again, all this happens when you don't listen to police. The other situation happened last night in D.C., and we saw a bunch of protests in the middle of the night. It happened in the afternoon. So that takes place. And then you look at what happened with George Floyd. I think that everyone agrees it's horrific. And then I'd see what happened with uh, Blake. Guess who's visiting there today over in Kenosha? It'll be a visit from the vice president of the United States. The president did not drop by when they were told him we won't talk to you without lawyers there. So he's going to try to be a healer and chief. Problem with that case, George Floyd case and Jacob Blake cases, they're dramatically different. Nobody wants to hear that in this climate, but they are. William Barr was asked about that yesterday with a very hostile Wolf Blitzer. Cut to. Well, I'm not going to talk about Blake, the Blake case. Uh, Why not? Because I think it's different than the Floyd case. What's different? Well, uh, Floyd was already subdued, incapacitated, in handcuffs, and was not armed. Uh, in, the, in, in the Jacob case, he was in the midst of committing a felony, and he was armed. So... Uh, that's a big difference his, from the standpoint. His family says he wasn't armed. Well, I think there the, may have been a knife in the car, but he wasn't armed when he was shot. Well, the, that's what his family and his lawyers said. I, I, I stated what I believe is to, to be the difference. There was a protection order that he violated. He walked right through a taser and got shot seven times. Should he have gotten shot seven times? Doesn't seem like there's a reason for that. Did he walk through a taser? Everybody agrees. Is there video of that? Not that it was out there yet. So he was bringing up the fact that every case isn't racially motivated. And Barr brought that up, too. There's, there's pretty much a false narrative out there. Cut one. I think the narrative that, uh, there's a, that the police are on some uh, you know, epidemic of shooting unarmed black men is simply a false narrative. Uh, and also the narrative that that's based on race. The fact of the matter is it's very rare for an unarmed African-American to be shot by a white police officer. So here's some stats. No one wants to hear that. Uh, those shot by police officers, the majority, white, 52%. But 32% are black, though African-Americans make up only 13% of the population. Most victims, 83%, were found to be armed. However, black victims were more likely to be unarmed, 14.8%. And white, 9.4% and unarmed. Hispanic, 5.8%. 
So is it happening? Yes. But is that the number one topic to make America a better place? Not according to the numbers. So the fact that the attorney general said that, I think is rubbing people the wrong way. The fact that he did say it, I think is the right thing to do because it creates a, a sense in this country that we're a racist country out there just shooting people because of the color of their skin, which is not the case. So yesterday, the president of the United States has been called out by Joe Biden. Why? Joe Biden says, this is your America, Mr. President, where everyone's uh, getting uh, causing unrest in Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Minneapolis, New York, Raleigh, Oakland. It's your America. Said, but there's, these are local mayors. Mayors are not letting their police do what they're supposed to do. They're defaming and defunding. So the president put his federal agents into Portland. They did their job, but they got no cooperation from the local officials, including the state police. So the president brought it out, and we now have 14 straight weeks of unrest in Portland. They want to blame the president. So the president said, what else can I do? Well, I'm giving federal funds to these major cities. Why? They're not listening to me. They're not backing their cops. In fact, they're defunding the cops. So when a six-page memo we put out, he says, listen, I'm going to look to take money away from New York, Seattle, uh, Portland, and Chicago, depending on what you're doing and not doing to support police. And guess what? Andrew Cuomo, who's got, had a bit of a temper, temper tantrum, said this yesterday to the president, cut six. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. Good riddance. Let him go to Florida. Be careful not to get COVID. He can't come back to New York. He can't. He's going to walk down the street in New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. No, New Yorkers don't want to have anything to do with him. And he knows it. Let me tell you something. It's just the opposite. They have uh, he will be guarded by 36,000 men and women in blue because he has thoroughly backed the cops. He got the endorsement of their uh, union. Pat Lynch spoke at the RNC. He's he's the one who represents the union. And if anybody is going to be protected without Secret Service, it's the president. Plus, uh, hey, hey, 1-800-Cuomo, he has an army, but he won't need it. You're the one who needs trouble. Be, uh, has trouble in New York because your mayor has let all hell break loose. He has allowed all the restaurants to die in the vine. You have done nothing to pressure him to give these business owners and these eatery owners a chance at making a living. This mayor, backed by you, has said that in in room dining, inside indoor dining, is for middle and upper class people, so he's not worried about it. You've allowed all these people to leave this city. And I got news for you. I walk the city streets every day. Nobody's safe in this city, thanks to you. So he should have taken counts to 10 before he hopped on the microphone and had that press call in answer to the president of the United States. Because he wants a bridge, he wants a tunnel, he wants the federal government to pay for it. And he makes those statements, you better not come back here because you need an army to protect yourself. Please. We come back. Daniel Luskin joins us and Steve Hayes. Then we'll take your calls. I see you all there on the line. Busy day. Tell me where you stand. No right answer. Just want yours. one 408 7669 You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. On the new COVID cases, which surprised me, frankly, the new COVID cases that are coming in the door, about the 300 per day, those are basically infections coming from people who are at 
home and not working, which was shocking to me. They're getting it at home, talking to someone on a park bench, uh, leaving their apartment building. That's where they're getting it. Uh, that is Governor Cuomo, and what his theory was, we needed a total lockdown, shutdown of the economy, and in New York City, we still haven't opened it up, and they're still debating on schools, many of which in a hybrid location, a hybrid situation, gyms opened up at 20%, but did all of that work? Donald Luskin says no, chief investment officer for Trend uh, Macro, and wrote a column about this uh, that appeared in uh, the uh, Wall Street Journal, and um, and joins us now. Uh Donald, welcome. Thank you very much. The failed experiment of COVID lockdowns, all the sacrifice, you concluded what? Well, there's just no statistical evidence that it did any good. Uh, you can, I, I, In the article, I look at it on the state level, but you can look at it on the country level or zip code level or whatever you want. And if you look at the number of cases or the number of deaths from COVID-19, and you index that against the uh, degree that people lock down, you can tell that because we can trace people's cell phones. Turns out there's just no connection. In fact, what little connection there is kind of goes the the unexpected way, where the more you lock down, actually the worse your experience was. That's not a strong relationship. But the point is, if you're going to cause a global depression, you need a strong relationship with a positive correlation, where lockdowns lead to results, because lockdowns are expensive. They're expensive economically, and they're expensive in their health consequences. So they darn well better work. There's no evidence that they did. So use the experiment of Hawaii. They're obviously an isolated island. They locked down. How's that going? Well, I wish I'd been prepared for that exact question. I, but but they blocked the down time, and they're I going up. I can pull up my spreadsheet and find Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the numbers right now show Hawaii is going up. They shut out tourists. They shut down the economy. They shut down restaurants. And the number's still going up. Well, that's not – yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, the, the, the real – poster children for extreme lockdowns like you know New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, you know, they they're just on the uh, the roll of shame for having the very worst results. So, uh it does, doesn't surprise me. And then you get, you know, you get I don't know states like Ohio, you know, where there were mild lockdowns, they had perfectly good results. So, how do you explain Donald when we shut down the numbers went down and when we opened up in different places like Texas and Florida the numbers went up as we opened up? Well, as we opened up, there are some states that uh, infections and deaths went up, uh, some states where they didn't go up as much. But when you compare differentially between, say, Texas and Massachusetts, uh, how much each of them opened up, and then how did that relate to their case and fatality experience, there is no relationship. There is no statistical relationship. Now, there's this politicized myth that all these red states like Florida and Texas and Arizona, they opened up too much. They opened up too soon. Well, we can tell by looking at cell phone mobility that they didn't particularly open up any sooner or any more than anybody else. But all the states are, you know, everyone's unique in its own way. And we can see what the results are. And the results are just basically random. They're just like you just assign random numbers to them. Now, I know it shouldn't be that way. I mean, the virus is a physical thing. And I guess it transmits from people to people. And if you had a perfect world where everybody could just live in a perfectly isolated little capsule, I guess there'd be no infections. But the kind of real-world lockdowns that you can do in the real world don't give any evidence of helping, and opening up doesn't have any evidence of hurting. So why do these scientists recommend this? 
well, uh, they're not recommending it so much anymore. You know, I'm not the only one to do this research. I did it originally in April, and we were only able to look at lockdowns, not open ups. So we've now been able to do the research twice. Now, in this famous uh, medical journal, The Lancet, you know, from the United Kingdom, it's been around for, for centuries, and it's, it's just the gold standard for the people like Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci. They published an article uh, about three and a half weeks ago looking at the lockdown period, not the open-up period. They used very similar statistical techniques to the ones I used, and no surprise, they came up with exactly the same conclusion. I mean, in The Lancet, right? I mean, this is the medical journal that publishes work by Dr. Fauci. So you're not going to hear these people banging the table for total lockdowns anymore. And that's why, as we had kind of a summer surge in cases in some places in the United States, other than California, there really weren't any big deal lockdowns. Oh, there were some mask mandates and, you know, they kind of tut, tut, you know, you shouldn't uh, hang out in bars so much. But, you know, there were no stay-at-home orders. We didn't go back to that world because the experts know that, okay, it was a good idea at the time. We had partial information. We're kind of learning by doing this virus. It's like a weapon of mass destruction. We've got to do something. Uh, well, turns out it didn't help. So why repeat the mistake? So what about masks and distancing? Do you think that is an effective strategy? Well, I don't want to be one of these guys who plays an epidemiologist without the credentials. I don't have data on that. So I'm going to say I just don't know. I'll tell you, I mean, when I go out, I wear a mask. And you know why I do it? Because it's no trouble for me to do it. Now, having a stay-at-home order, causing a global depression, throwing people out of jobs, making it so that if you need cancer screening or you have a stroke and you need to go to the emergency room, you can't get medical treatment because the whole system's been oriented just toward this one fad disease, COVID-2019, okay, that's a big deal. Masks, that's nothing. So maybe they work, maybe they don't. Maybe we'll find out someday. But they're essentially free. So fine, I'm going to wear it. might work. And from your stats, do you believe the second wave is coming? I have no reason to think it would. Got it. Uh, David, uh, Donald, thanks so much for joining us. Chief Investment Officer for Trend Macro, uh, his column, The Failed Experiment of COVID Lockdowns. It's uh, mind-boggling to think about all the sacrifice everybody listening has made. Everybody. Very, very few things everyone has made, and it might not, uh, and it doesn't look like it helped. Amazing. Donald, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, when we come back, we uh, talk to Stephen Hayes and then open up the phones. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. There is going to be no need, in my view, to be able to shut down the whole economy. I got asked by David Muir a question. If I was asked to shut everything down, I took that as a generic question. If Am I going to follow the science? Right. Uh, take every question generic. That's a good explanation. Are we going to wear a mask? Yes. You got to wear a, a mask mandate. Yes, that's going to be enforced. I'm not going to tell everyone to wear a mask mandate. I'm going to urge you to do a mask mandate. I, I'm for fracking. No, wait a second. When I said I was against fossil fuels and said, look at me, I'm against fossil fuels. We're going to get rid of all of it. 
who do we believe? The Joe Biden that wants to get elected against President Trump or the Joe Biden that wanted to get the primary win? And why is he when is he going to actually be called out on it? Well, when he sits down with Steve Hayes, that's the answer. The editor and CEO of The Dispatch. Hey, Steve. I'd love to do that interview. That'd be great. Will he sit down with you, you think? Um, I, I'm skeptical he would, but I would love to ask him questions like the ones that you're putting to him. And, and we have a we have a big piece up on our website today about Biden's spending and uh, what it means in the context of America's debt and deficit crisis. And it's pretty remarkable. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, the fact that the guy emerged from a Democratic primary where he was, he actually was the moderate on spending in the Democratic primary. But that's only because that field was so radically far to the left on its spending proposals. I mean, $11 trillion over the next decade is jaw-dropping. Well, I mean, listen, he's spending less than Bernie Sanders, uh, but that Bernie Sanders taxed those horrible rich people more. So I just don't know what to believe. And I remember a candidate quite like this in that he signs a he signs a document with Bernie Sanders saying they're going to have an understanding to do these things. He's on the record saying and been described as somebody who is potentially the most progressive president of our lifetime since FDR, but keeps telling everyone he's moderate. And it's it's almost a it's a. It's a stick-and-move strategy that no one's even trying to catch up with him to to corner him on this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting question because I think if you look over the course of his career, if you look at Joe Biden in the Senate, I think he could properly be, be described sure. as a moderate or somebody who is more, more of a pragmatist. Then you look at the, the policies he implemented as vice president under Barack Obama, and obviously there was a pretty pronounced shift to the left, which coincided with a broader shift to the left, I think, in the Democratic Party with the base of the party pulling its, its leadership and, and pulling its elected officials leftward. Obviously, in, in the Democratic primary, I think Biden was more moderate than most of his uh, most of his competitors, most of his rivals. I mean, he didn't go all in for Medicare for all. I mean, he rejected a lot of the things that others in his party, others on the debate stage with him, were urging him to do. But I think that the simple fact that the party itself has shifted so far to the left, even if you think Biden is a relative moderate compared to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and others, that still puts him pretty far to the left. I mean, on the spending on the spending question, for for example, I mean, he proposes eleven trillion dollars in in new spending, and if you look at what uh, Obama and and Hillary Clinton were proposing, I mean, this is a dramatic increase uh, from from those. Even if you know, Kamala Harris was forty trillion, Bernie Sanders was. 97 trillion in new spending, but it, relative to to what Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were proposing, or in and in fact implemented in Obama's case, this is a pretty dramatic increase. It is. I mean, free college too. He did just say that, and he's sticking with free college, which is fascinating. Uh, in terms of ba- banning fracking, we're trying to win Pennsylvania and Ohio while banning fracking is pretty tough. So this is what he said. I am not banning fracking. Let me say that again. I am not banning fracking, no matter how many times Donald Trump lies about me. See, the problem is he also said this. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those. Anybody who could go down 300 to 3,000 feet in the mine 
Sure, and he can learn how to program as well. Give me a break. Anybody who can throw coal into a furnace can learn how to program, for God's sake. I'm talking about stopping fracking as soon as we possibly can. No ifs, buts, and maybes about it. I'm talking about speaking to China. Well, I'm not sure your proposal does that. No more, no new fracking. So, I mean, mean, come on. I mean, at one point, you got to believe him. But I just don't know at what point and, and what Joe Biden... Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty inconsistent. I mean, I think what what Biden defenders would tell you is that he was opposing subsidies, additional subsidies or government backing for fracking. But as in the clips you play, it's pretty clear that he went well beyond those original proposals to embrace something much closer to what Bernie Sanders was was arguing. So when um, he's going to Minnesota uh, and he's going to go, he's going to Wisconsin for the first time in two years, I guess, today, Kenosha. But he's going to Minnesota. Does that show you he's playing defense there? Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's some polling, and I've heard uh, some uh, reports from folks I've talked to on the Republican side that, that suggest that there's polling that shows that that's actually a competitive state. Minnesota's not uh, a, a necessarily a sort of a Democratic, a blue state um, guarantee. And I think in Minnesota, he is playing defense. Now, there are lots of other places where he's playing offense where Democrats are not traditionally playing offense. And you point to, to Georgia and North Carolina, it's potentially competitive in Montana. There are other places um, where I think he's got a, a pretty clear advantage. But Minnesota is one of those places where I think the president has a, a core group of, of voters um, who are intensely passionate about it and intense in their support for him. Steve, are you under the belief that this is one of the most important elections you can remember? Yeah, I mean, I think every election is is important, and we've heard that kind of rhetoric before. I guess I'm I don't buy the the rhetoric that we get from both sides that you know if if my side doesn't win this election, um, the country's going to fall apart. The country can no longer exist. This is an existential election. But yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty significant election in terms of the the course of the country and in terms of the kind of leadership we want. There's no doubt about it. And the Senate too. I mean, I think that the the Senate, the direction of the Senate, um, if there is if there is a Biden administration, the direction of the Senate will I think mean a lot in terms of how far Joe Biden can go in doing the kinds of things that you're talking about. I mean, the, the fracking proposals wouldn't get very far in a Senate run by Mitch McConnell. True. And would D.C. becoming a state and when the filibuster gone, would that happen? I mean, I think if Democrats win the Senate, the filibuster will be gone. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically not really even being coy about it any longer. Um, and that would sort of dramatically change the way that that we govern the country in D.C., that's for sure. Could we get rid of the Electoral College? I mean, there are lots of Democrats who would like to do that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there was a big push from the left uh, to, to do that. I mean, you've seen, you've seen a lot of public arguments about the, the um, growing populations in each of the biggest states and how unfair it is that smaller states have that kind of representation. So I, I would not at all be surprised to see that. Look, there are other there are other proposals, too. I mean, remember, even somebody like Pete Buttigieg in the Democratic primary uh, toyed with the idea of embracing expansion of the Supreme Court. So there are a lot of kinds of things that you can imagine 
um, seeing with a fully consolidated Democratic Party running Washington. So, Steve, what you're saying <laughs> is this is a substantial move because if Biden wins, he you, you know, logic says he'll grab the Senate, too. And if they're going to get rid of the filibuster, everything we mentioned substantially changes America. And I'll bring something else in that I would have, you know, if you brought it up three years ago, I'd be like, you know, that's philosophical and this is a good debate for a thinking think tank, but not in practicality. But now you have this study done to go into Washington where you work and live and revisit 153 different assets uh, from the Jefferson Memorial to the Washington Monument to statues of Benjamin Franklin or Francis Scott Key. If there's a Democratic president in Joe Biden and a Democratic mayor and there's a push amongst the AOCs and the squads of the world to start revisiting our history and maybe changing it, Washington might not look the way it used to look anymore. And you're changing our textbooks simultaneously in many states. Yeah. I mean, I'm where you are. I think if, if we'd had this discussion three years ago, we would have talked about it as theoretical. I mean, look, remember when when President Trump said, you know, next they're going to go after George Washington and people kind of scoffed and thought he was making a rhetorical point or, or making an argument to, to depict his opponents as extreme. And now you have that argument being made by um, I'd say not many prominent Democrats, but some prominent Democrats. I don't. I'm not worried about that. I don't think that would happen uh, in a in Joe Biden administration with a Democratic Senate. I am worried about continuing changes to the curriculum and, and attempts to write out to to sort of rewrite the founding as profoundly racist and you know the ideas of the founding as as profoundly racist, rather than telling what I think is a really important textured, um, interesting story about America's history, where you tell the story about the founding and, and you treat it accurately. You tell all sorts of different kinds of stories about the founding from different perspectives, from you know the James Madisons, from Thomas Jeffersons, from the, the perspective of the slaves, from everybody who was going on to provide this sort of rich, full history of the founding. Neither the, the kind of exclusive hero's history that probably was taught too widely 50 years ago, nor the rewritten, you know, Project 1619 history where everything is condemned and and America is a a hopeless racist country from its founding on. Joe Biden against uh, uh, Donald Trump. It went from, well, it's all about the coronavirus and then reviving the economy to law and order. Uh, the internals must reveal that shows that Biden's schedules were dramatically changed. He wasn't going to do anything until after Labor Day. Then he wasn't going to do anything. Now he's after Labor Day. Now it's now. Uh, so he's already had a Pennsylvania visit going to Wisconsin today. So things have changed. When it comes to law and order, how do you explain the Democrats being snuck up on in this? How do you explain the fact that they wouldn't acknowledge anything more than a protest, that the riots that were happening, the damage that was taking place would only be brought up if a reporter would ask Biden the question as opposed to from a speech like we saw on Monday? Yeah, I mean, I guess I have a little different take. I mean, the Biden campaign put out a statement after the George Floyd um, killing and deny, you know, denounced the the rioting and the looting. But it was a paper statement. It wasn't the kind of big speech. It was. It wasn't. Uh, he he may have said it in addition to putting out a paper statement, but it wasn't the kind of speech that we saw him give just the other day. And I think he was very late in in giving that. I, I talked to a law enforcement. Uh, official over the weekend who, who said to me, like, I just want Joe Biden to come out and say, hey, there are lots of good cops. And to say that repeatedly, in addition to saying 
what's happened in certain of these incidents can't be allowed to happen, and there are problems that we need to acknowledge and then and then solve. And I think he lost a lot of ground. I do think, I mean, if you think if you look at polling, it is still the case that most of the country puts uh, the economy as the top issue, um, coronavirus and healthcare broadly uh, as second and third, and then um, law and order a little bit further down. And I, I think it's an interesting debate on Warner. I think you're right that the Democrats were certainly late to, to joining this debate in the way that they ought to have from the beginning. But I think it's a tough argument for, for Donald Trump, too. I mean, if you look at what he tweeted in July of 2016, he said the July 2016 election is going to be an election about law, order and safety versus chaos and crime. And here we are four years later living in the kind of – you know, you look at his inaugural address – living in the kind of American carnage in certain pockets that he said wouldn't happen under Donald Trump. And it's happening under Donald Trump. I think that's a risky argument for him. Right, uh, except for the fact that he could say, I put, you know, I've been offering troops to all these people, offering federal agents. I did it once. They ended up not even getting cooperation locally. Now he says in a six-page memo, I'm going to stop funding if you don't start cracking down on the criminals beneath you, uh, the criminals in your cities. But I want you to hear the other major issue, and that is mail-in voting. I don't have, you and I don't have a problem with absentee voting. We never should. That would make no sense. But when people just get these ballots mailed to these states and they're changing their philosophy right away, obviously any clear thinking person would have a problem with that, including Bill Barr. Listen to him yesterday with Wolf Blitzer. People have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government. And people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology, which as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion is reckless and dangerous, and the people are playing with fire. Who do, you, who do you agree with here, the no problem people, the Wolf Blitzers of the world, or the William Barr's people? No, I, I'm probably in the middle, honestly. I mean, I don't, think that, I don't think that there's a lot of data and history to support the claim from the attorney general that this will inevitably lead to fraud. I don't think that that's necessarily true, but I do think that he has a valid point when he says, Look, you don't want to be changing the rules of the game shortly before the, the game is to be played. I mean, people come and they expect a certain, uh, they expect the, the process to unfold in a certain way, and it ought to unfold in a certain way. The question, of course, is how you accommodate something like a global pandemic. And I don't think it's unreasonable to want to make available more votes by, voting by mail. Yeah, I don't just think request it. Steve Hayes should, don't you think, Steve? You should request it. Steve Hayes doesn't feel good voting, so request it. Request a ballot. I'm not yeah, going to mail think, everyone in, in, in Washington, D.C. a ballot. Right, and I think that's, I think that's the, the sort of natural place to come down on that. It, yes. It, it's, if, you, if you have to find ways to accommodate people, accommodate people. But, yeah, don't mail everybody a ballot and change the rules across the country. Right. You know, right before the vote. Unless it's a subscription to the dispatch in it. Uh, of course, we have to pay that. <laughs> Steve Hayes, the dispatch is the name of his uh, daily newsletter, which is fantastic. I'm paying full freight, getting it delivered. Steve, thanks so much. We appreciate you. You are a cherished member of the dispatch community. Can't wait for thanks, the Christmas Brian. party. Thanks, Steve. Back in a moment. <laughs> Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. My name is Andrew Christensen. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning and treating things as, as though they're normal. I go into nice family restaurants and I see people throwing this name around and pretending as though everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. I propose that we as a city remove the name boneless wings from our menus and from our hearts. These are our reasons why. Number one, nothing about boneless chicken wings actually come from the wing of a chicken. We would be disgusted if a butcher was mislabeling their cuts of meats, but then we go around and pretending as though the breast of the chicken is its wing. Number two, boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, which are already boneless. I don't go to order boneless tacos. I don't go and order boneless club sandwiches. I don't ask for boneless auto repair. It's just what's expected. Exactly. And that was one of the issues being uh, addressed in Nebraska by Andres Christensen in front of his city council. He wanted to crack down on boneless chicken. And with that, I think we should reflect on his mission, be inspired by it, and find out if there's even more to know. There isn't, is there? But I will make a couple announcements. Vince Scully is now on Twitter, which is great. And Lou Holtz says we have to play football. And Michael Jordan is part of DraftKings. Finally, he'll make some money and be able to pay his bills. Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, this is going to be a great hour. Molly Hemingway at the bottom of the hour, deep thinker from the Federalist, and Victor Davis Hansen, uh, the best in the business, senior fellow at the Military Historian at the Hoover Institute, Stanford University. He's up early for us on the West Coast, coming to you from New York, heard around the country and around the world. And we are going to make a huge impact now this hour. Uh, we have a lot to discuss. Both candidates are on the road. You have Joe Biden on a healing mission to, mission to Kenosha, even though it's been mostly peaceful for the last three or four days. And then you have the president of the United States going out to Pennsylvania, where he has huge rallies. He's going to be at the Arnold Palmer Airport, where he is going to out, he'll outwork any candidate in American history. He'll do four or five events a day. But he is continuing to act and be proactive and overcome all the negative headlines out there, and well as, a, as well as a compliant press when it comes to Joe Biden. I'm going to play some questions from the press corps who finally got a chance to ask Joe Biden questions after at least a month. You won't believe these questions, how benign they are. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I take responsibility for trusting uh, the word of a neighborhood salon that I've been to over the years. As it turns out, it was a setup. So I take responsibility for falling for a setup. 
Pelosi-palooza. It was a setup. They tricked me into going into a salon and getting my hair dyed and walking around without a mask. How dare they? The only problem with that, the owner of the salon was not in on it, number one, because it didn't happen. And number two, everybody in California has been shut down who owns a salon because of her stupid rules. And she has thrown them and laughed in their face by doing this. And her excuse does not pass the laugh test either. Number two. Why is now the right time for you to go to Kenosha and what do you hope to accomplish? You raised $364.5 million, your campaign in the DNC last month. How are you going to spend it? I I know you always ask a hostile question, but go ahead. Why were you still hosting crowded campaign rallies in March? That was it. That's as hard as it got for Joe Biden. Biden, Biden. Biden speaks to the press and gets softball question after softball question as he does get some favorable poll numbers, but shows in battleground states the president is on the move. Number one. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. He can't come back to New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. That's a threat. Unrest and reality. Can you believe the challenge from Governor Cuomo to President Trump? I think the president should take him up on the challenge. And there are two more controversial law enforcement interactions resulting in two deaths, sparking protests in Rochester, New York and Washington, D.C. William Barr weighs in on what is happening in America when it comes to policing and race. And that's where we'll begin. I was not surprised because it's William Barr and he's fearless. But no one wants to talk about race, especially when it comes to policing. Police have been made to be the bad guys. When part of the problem is the family structure is falling apart in these inner cities. I'm not just talking about black. I'm talking about period. And the people that got to come in and provide some discipline are law enforcement. They come by so often, a lot of times they make mistakes along the way. But most of all, you have a situation when things go wrong. Is there's a resisting of arrest or there's a confrontation after arrest or there's a fleeing from arrest? which made William Barr come out and say this. Cut one. I think the narrative that that the police are on some uh, epidemic of shooting unarmed black men is simply a false narrative, Uh, and also the narrative that that's based on race. The fact of the matter is it's very rare for an unarmed African-American to be shot by a white police officer. And that led to a lot of controversy, and there's some numbers out there. More likely to get shot? Yes. Does it happen all the time? No. You're talking about 10 million interactions with cops, and now we're making cops the bad guy. And the president's going to push back on that all day long. And so will almost every clear-thinking candidate. Joe Biden says, I back the cops. There are some bad ones. But it took him forever to say that. We know that. What Governor Cuomo did yesterday, totally out of hand, it shows he's got not a person on his staff to say, Count to 10 before you meet the press. When he heard the president put out a six-page memo that would defund states and cities that don't crack down on unrest and defund their police, he went ballistic to the point where he came out and said this about the president, cut six, on a conference call. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. Good riddance. Let him go to Florida. Be careful not to get COVID. He can't come back to New York. He can't. He's going to walk down the street in New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army if he thinks he's going to walk down the street in New York. No, New Yorkers don't want to have anything to do with him. And he knows it. 
he does have an army, but he also has the backing of the men and women in blue. And I would think that if there were two, there was a choice between Governor Cuomo, especially Mayor de Blasio, and the president, the president's got a pretty good uh, force. Number one, he does have an army. Number two, he does have an army. I should add to that. So for him to come out and call out the president, well, we already know him on the record. When it came to this virus, he went on to say the president allowed this virus to come here. Like we knew about in December, Europeans, according to Cuomo, came here as tourists, infected and infected his state. So the president's supposed to know that in December, even Taiwan didn't even know it was happening. Red China was saying that they don't think it could be person-to-person transfer. The uh, CDC had no announcements. The WHO had no announcement. But you can go ahead and make it up. The problem is, Governor Cuomo, we already know how you feel about the president. Cut seven. Seven. Kudos where kudos are due. And here the vice president and the president responded very quickly. Uh, so I want to thank them for that. He has been good in delivering for New York. He has. He, is, uh, he has. He has delivered for New York. Uh, he is ready, willing, and able to help. Do I have faith in the president? Look, what the federal government did working with states, as I just said, was a phenomenal accomplishment. The federal government stepped up and was a great partner. And I'm the first one to say it. Uh, we needed help, and they were there. Oops. A little different. He better not come here. There's not an army big enough to protect him here. First off, you don't want to bring more attention to the fact that this has become a lawless city without any legitimate white-collar workers and blue-collar workers or either essential workers or doing something else. You don't want to bring up the fact that more people left New York than any other state and got greater distances than any other state. But you are Governor Cuomo, so what you say matters. Even though you're bringing attention to a state that's an absolute mess and you need cooperation to build the tunnels and bridges that you want from the federal government, don't think you're going to get it this way. What I find astounding is even the candidate on the Democratic side. So Governor Cuomo gets a pass in this state. Nobody runs against him. And then when Joe Biden gets his nomination put there because they didn't want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee, he had the momentum and the money and the vision, but it was the socialist vision and America doesn't want to be socialist. Joe Biden has not talked to the press since July 28th. That's 36 days. Joe Biden suddenly has to go campaign because he sees things are tightening up, and I think he's getting concerned. Okay, I know he's getting concerned. So you got to think that these reporters following him around for some type of interaction, some newsmaking event, would ask some really tough questions. Game on. Cut 11. Go. Why is now the right time for you to go to Kenosha, and what do you hope to accomplish tomorrow? If you were president, what would you do to ensure that people are kept safe in situations like these? They announced the format and the moderators of the presidential debates today. And is there anything that could dissuade you from participating? And how have you begun to prepare? You raised $364.5 million, your campaign in the DNC last month. A record for a monthly haul, apparently. How are you going to spend it? There is a new book uh, by the New York Times' Michael Schmidt that says... Vice President Pence was told to be on standby to take over. As vice president, were you ever told to be on standby? Oh, what a waste of time. How about, Mr. President, one, uh, Mr. Vice President, one minute you say this should be, there will be a national mask mandate, and the next minute you say, I'm going to pressure governors. How come you said you'd, gonna, you'd be more than happy to shut the government down if that's what the scientists say, and now you say it's not necessary? Uh, how come you said uh, multiple times you're getting rid of fossil fuels, but yesterday, on Monday, rather, you came out and said, I'm not banning fracking? 
What are we to believe? Why do you keep changing your tune? Now you're pro-law enforcement, but you didn't say a word when Portland and Seattle were on fire. Uh, you were against riots, but didn't find a way to disseminate between that and protest until Monday. Why is that? And then let them get mad and start yelling at you. And that's what a real cat, that's when you're in a real race. Right now, the president's got to be the press, and he's got to run against his opponent and project what he wants to do for the next four years. But he can't complain. He's got to handle it. When we come back, Victor Davis Hanson joins us. I want to talk about the state of the race. And also, Nancy Pelosi wants us to buy the fact that she was set up by a salon owner to be seen without a mask and get a haircut indoors. Please don't tell me you're buying that. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I take responsibility for trusting uh, the word of a neighborhood salon that I've been to over the years many times. And that um, when they said, well, we're able to accommodate people one person at a time and that we can set up that time, I trusted that. As it turns out, it was a setup. So I take responsibility for falling for a setup. I think that they owe, uh, that this salon owes me an apology for setting up. But I will say this in fairness to him and in sympathetic to him. We have to get our country moving again. Makes sense. Now that explains why she can get a haircut and nobody else in California can. Victor Davis Hanson, senior fellow and military historian at the Hoover Institute. Uh, I got to get you to weigh in on one, your neighbor over in San Francisco. Are you buying her explanation? No, she's typical of not just a California elite, but a national elite. Because remember, in your neck of the woods, Brian, you had Chris Cuomo walking around without a mask. And Andrew Cuomo, or I think Bill de Blasio was working out in a gym when he said that you're not supposed to do that. We had Gavin Newsom, our governor, shut down the wineries. And then we found out that his winery was open. <laughs> so it's typical that the elite in California in particular never think that they're subject to the ramifications of their own ideology, whether that's, you know, we don't like water transfers for farmers, but we like water transfers from the Yosemite to San Francisco for the Hetch Hetchy water supply, or we don't believe in walls work at the border. That's an archaic Neanderthal idea, but our estates in Malibu or uh, Palo Alto have huge walls around Mark Zuckerberg or Barbara Streisand's home. So it's the same old thing that, We've got a very wealthy, wealthy is the key word, progressive elite that feels, I think it's a psychological condition of medieval penance and exemption and indulgences where they don't want to be with the lower middle classes or people of color so that they craft or construct this idea that they're so caring. And that makes it, that kind of squares the circle that relieves their guilt, that they're segregationists, their kids are in private school, they're in gated communities. Pelosi lives in a huge gated community in Napa Valley. It's huge, and her kids go to parochial, went to parochial schools. She's worth over $100 million. But yet, you know, when you see her kneeling in the Capitol with this 
Kinta cloth, you think that she's a social justice warrior. Forget it. Uh, enough of her. We don't buy it. And she was a total hypocrite because she was so critical to Republicans uh, at the RNC. But, Victor, you, you wrote this column. It's about uh, saying Biden is a prisoner of his own paradoxes. In what way? Well, he, he, to get, he shouldn't have run because he knew he had cognitive challenges, but he did. And then he basically burned up and exploded as a candidate. And Michael Bloomberg came in to rescue the party from Bernie Sanders, and he blew a billion dollars and showed us he was even more mediocre. And then they were stuck, so they all sort of mysteriously disappeared from the field, and Biden was an empty vessel. That meant that – by that I mean he compromised his good old Joe from Scranton ideology – and became a vessel for the hard left, the Bernie Sanders AOC agenda. And it, and now we see that he's not able to do the job. So does he have a debate? If he does, he could lose the election in one second. If he doesn't have the debate, he's going to be ridiculed by Trump in a way that Clint Eastwood pointed to an empty chair on the stage in the 2012 Republican convention. And you know Trump will do that. He'll just have an empty chair and say, where's Biden? Should he go out and try to match the frenzied schedule of Donald Trump? If he does, he's not physically up to it. And does he does he criticize the violence, the BLM and the anti? No, he hasn't. You know why? Because He's made a Faustian bargain with him and said, basically, you create the anarchy and the chaos that drives down the commander in chief who's always responsible on his watch. And in exchange for that, I will embrace your agenda. And then when I'm elected, you'll mysteriously cease this activity. And so he's a he's a prisoner of all these contradictions. He doesn't he doesn't own him, his own self. In contrast, Trump can say anything to anybody at any time, anywhere. He, he just uh, Free spirit. It can be counterproductive, but he's not he's not bound to anybody. Joe Biden is owned lock, stock and barrel by the left wing of his party and the people in the street. But he portrays himself as somebody in the middle. So it makes it hard to land a blow. They accuse him of something he says he uh, well, didn't they, say. They use that. They stress. They stress that. But believe me, Brian, you're, we're hearing that Joe is sober, that he's uh, vibrant, that he's healthy. But as soon as if he were to be elected and he's middle of the road and he's not a radical, as soon as he's elected, you can believe that the people at NPR and New York Times, Washington Post, DNC, they're going to leak that they're shocked. There's stories circulating that Joe forgot where he was, that Joe didn't know what city he was in, that Joe is uh, hopelessly a reactionary after all. And that's going to be a push to get Kamala Harris in there. And I really believe that. I think he's, his role is to carry them across the finish line, and then they're going to dispense with him. And I think he knows that. Victor, do you think uh, Trump is uh, eventually going to win this thing? I do. I think that uh, I look at things that other, you know, I don't trust the mainstream polls. I look at polls, A, that had a good record, like Rasmussen and Emerson four years ago. I look at what people who have no dog in the fight in Vegas are doing, the betters. They just care about money. 50-50 and 80% of the bets are going on Trump. And then I look at internal polling. I mean, you don't hire an oncologist to tell you that you don't have cancer or you do have cancer. They, you, you hear the truth. And internal pollsters apparently have told the Democrats to watch out. Otherwise, Nancy Pelosi wouldn't be wanting to cancel debate or uh, Hillary Clinton wouldn't be saying for Biden never to concede or Michelle Obama wouldn't be saying vote, vote, vote or Don Lemon wouldn't say it's time. That, that's all a reflection of a, an internal polling 
uh, result that is frightening the Democrats. And Trump's not there yet. He's not, I think, in a comfortable state now situation now, but he's on a trajectory they can't stop. The only person that can stop that trajectory is Donald Trump if he were to tweet something excessive. And But in these nine or ten states where the election is being uh, decided, the purple states of the Midwest, he's one or two points behind or almost even. And I think uh, if Trump is, can just keep doing what he's doing, sounding empathetic, being the commander-in-chief, and not get into cul-de-sac tweeting by about a week after Labor Day, he's going to be ahead, even in the mainstream polls in those states. And that's all that's going to matter in this election. And then uh, God knows what they're capable of coming out with. But uh, there's no more Access Hollywood stuff in the in the wings. It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson, always great to talk to you, sir. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, Molly Hemingway coming up next, and we end with your calls, one 408 There's a war against history, and it's going to play a role in this election. I'll explain in just a second. We'll talk about it with Molly. Thanks so much for being here. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. No one will be removing or renaming the Washington Monument or the Jefferson Memorial. None of that is going to happen. Um, it's just simply nutty to be frank. Uh, We have our own officers um, that have dealt with these uh, matters, and um, the U.S. Department of Justice is giving us a lot of support. So the bottom line is if you commit a crime at at interior-managed properties, we're going to investigate that crime, we're going to prosecute that crime, and um, if you're convicted, you're going to go away for a long time for that crime. Well, that's fine. Uh, that's fine with the Trump administration. And if they get four more years, perhaps. But the committee that studied all these historical sites in Washington, D.C., looked at 153 different sites and have problems with these uh, uh, different assets, as they call it. Everything from George Mason's memorial to Thomas Jefferson's memorial uh, to blocks named after John Tyler to the Columbus Fountain. They want it contextualized or they want it taken down or moved. Now, you may think, well, that's not going to happen. You just heard from the Secretary of Interior. Well, what if Joe Biden's president and Democrat? What if that mayor remains uh, the Democratic mayor from Washington, D.C.? And if the filibuster-proof Senate goes to the Democrats, who's saying that this stuff can't be uh, surrounded by scaffolding or moved out? Molly Hemingway, senior editor for The Federalist. Molly, if I brought this up two or three years ago— uh, I would say, well, you know, that's in theory, but this could happen. You know, it's interesting because about three years ago, there was such a discussion about this when it came to mob attempts to take down a statue of Robert E. Lee, I believe it was, yep. in, in Charlottesville. And at the time, one of the things that was interesting was that President Trump said, there's no limiting principle here that will keep Thomas Jefferson or George Washington from having their statues torn down. And the media did all these fact checks and they said, that's insane. That's literally like the craziest thing he's ever said. And here we are only three years later. And in fact, if you make the standard be that someone has to be perfect in order to have a statue up or whatnot, there's no limiting principle that keeps you from tearing down literally anybody's monument. I mean, right now we're talking about race issues um, which are very complicated in this country's history, but 
tomorrow it's going to be some other some other issue that requires tearing down of additional statues. So yes, it would have sounded crazy three years ago, but uh, when some people kind of pointed out that if you don't have room in your culture for flawed individuals to be honored for other things, um, then then no one is safe, and that's what we're experiencing now. And on California, they're revisiting the entire curriculum for the entire state, and they're going to bring up more 1619 than 1776, and they're all going to have ethnic studies, which seems benign, until you find out what is actually happening there. And if you combine that with the tearing down of our history and the video we already have, this is a scenario that is on the docket November 3rd. It absolutely is. And I don't think it's really even about history so much. This is about how we interact with each other. If we don't understand that flawed people, are, that we ourselves are flawed and that other people are flawed and that we have to have some amount of tolerance or toleration in a world where there are sinners, this leads pretty quickly to civil unrest that has nothing to do with history. It's actually about you know how we, how we interact with each other right now. And it's very unhealthy to require uh, perfection and to not see that you yourself fail to, to meet that standard of perfection. So you write a column that Joe Biden is now reacting to President Trump. And that's what we're really seeing since Monday. Instead of leading the way and talking about the coronavirus, he's now trying to be the law and order guy. It's just interesting because the argument for the Biden campaign is that he would be a different kind of leader. But repeatedly, he keeps on kind of following whatever President Trump or, or Vice President Biden has done. So when he finally came out and condemned some of the violence that was being done by leftist groups, he actually used the same language that Vice President Pence had used in his acceptance speech at the RNC. You know, he said, pro- looting is not protesting. Arson is not protesting. That's exactly what Vice President Mike Pence had said. And then he followed Donald Trump to Kenosha. First, he said that uh, no one should go to Kenosha. He condemned Donald Trump for going to Kenosha. He said he wouldn't do it. And now he himself is going there, um, following in the footsteps of, of President Trump. It's also something he's done with other things, too, whether it's his coronavirus plan is the same as uh, Donald Trump's coronavirus plan. He seems to be temporarily uh, aping the fracking position of Donald Trump. I don't know if he'll be able to stick to that or not. But just it's interesting because his own argument is that he would be a different kind of leader, but he keeps on following what President Trump is doing just a few days later or a few but, months later. But Molly's also changing a, a lot of stuff he's doing. He's, he's better at the coronavirus. Well, how? Uh, why, what were you doing in January and March? Uh, basically, he didn't see the coronavirus as a big, that big of a threat. He was still having events. It barely came up in one of his debates. In January, he's still having uh, uh, events. In the beginning, no one was telling us to wear masks. Now he says, I would have a mask mandate. He has reversed himself on that, on mask mandate. He's reversed himself on fracking. He's reversed himself on whether to lock down. But no one seems to be calling him out on it. Well, very few people are calling him out on it. And I think that's interesting what you said about the coronavirus thing. He says that if Donald Trump had listened to him in January, the coronavirus would have been taken care of. But his own statements in January and his own behaviors in January, February and March, hosting events at the time that this that this outbreak was happening um, are at odds with what he's claiming he would have done now. So, um, yeah, but too, too few people are doing it. He's, he seems to have a very friendly relationship with the media, which is, which is obviously um, the situation that he's dealing with. But few two reporters are pointing out that he should have, he should match his rhetoric with his actual track record. So I'm looking at these polls and the president's trailing just about every battleground state, but it's closing. I had we had Bill Stepien on this morning. He said, "No offense to Fox News, I just don't like your polls. You you don't you do not sample accurate uh, 
uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans to what the electorate is per state per state. But in uh, Pennsylvania, for example, he was down by 13. Now he's down by four. In Wisconsin, he's closing in. Uh, in North Carolina, in most polls, he's up. Here he's down by a couple. Where do you think this race is at? And am I the, are you like me who see a lot of the Hillary Clinton pattern here? Well, yeah, and I, the, the poll that came out in Wisconsin from Fox News, I think uh, the Biden campaign clearly doesn't believe that poll because they are behaving as if they have a very difficult situation in Wisconsin. And the Biden campaign itself is is acting as if it is very worried about a bunch of battleground states. And that's sort of a more interesting metric to look at than what the polls are saying. I do think it's very difficult to poll this year. Um, it was difficult to poll in 2016, obviously. And the decisions you make about, about how you sample things can really have a very big difference. But I think Everyone, both sides, should probably recognize this is a very tight race. It's going to come down not just to getting out the vote, but preserving the integrity of the vote. And, yeah, relative to where the Democratic uh, Party was in 2016, I don't think they are breathing a huge sigh of relief right now. Uh, Probably not. Uh, In terms of what Joe Biden can do long term, if he's going every day and he's going to start answering questions, we know what happened about three weeks ago when he started answering a couple of questions in friendly interviews. He ends up calling one guy a junkie. Uh, we know what he did with the morning show, saying if you ain't black, you not vote for you. You know, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. I mean, this could so, be a series of events that could really close this gap. It's it's difficult though. You're right that he has he's a he's a walking gaff machine. He actually always has been. But there, the one thing that I don't quite get about why the campaign is locking him up and not letting him speak freely is. Speaking freely is actually his best thing, too. It's when he comes off the most human, the most personable. Yes, he makes mistakes all the time, and sometimes they sound racist or other problems. But I think they're really losing a lot by having him you know, read scripted answers to pre-selected questions. It's making him appear even weaker than I think that they should feel comfortable with. Um, and I understand their difficult situation. He is, you know, an older individual who's had some trouble. But I don't. I think he's actually a pretty good, you know, conversationalist most of the time. Um, and I realize that the times it doesn't go well, it really doesn't go well. But all that likability about him is missing when you lock him up and you make him read off of a teleprompter. So I, I think the campaign has got to figure out something in between the unleashed Biden and the tightly scripted one that is sound, that is having trouble reading off the teleprompter. Yeah, by the way, we're watching the market. It's down 500 points. Significant. They said tech underperformed. So that's how the market's reacting. Still over uh, 28,000. Uh, lastly, I just want to bring you to Governor Cuomo's comments yesterday when he found out that he was going to be defunded because he's not cracking down on crime in his country in his state. Cut six. Look, the best thing he did for New York City was leave. Good riddance. Let him go to Florida. Be careful not to get COVID. He can't come back to New York. He can't. He's going to walk down the street in New York. Forget bodyguards. He better have an army. He's clueless. When he understands what the streets are like in New York, when he understands what has happened here, and he's actually and he knows the president's popularity with law enforcement here. I mean, this he one thing about him he's usually a decent politician, but here he's having a temper tantrum. Completely apart from whether it's good politics or not, it's 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 horrible to suggest that the president should be worried about his life if he came to your state. That type of threat is something most average Americans would not be able to get away with without a visit from the Secret Service. And I really think Andrew Cuomo should work on modeling the type of rhetoric that he would hope that his people would have. But it also seems un, 
uh, inaccurate in that U.S. taxpayers did a lot to help out New York. New York was a disaster. Without the New York coronavirus response, the entire country would be doing much better. And a lot of Americans sacrificed a lot to help out uh, help out the people of New York, and they had their lives really upended because of what was happening in New York. And Andrew Cuomo did not handle things well, despite what some people are saying. And so he really should have some uh, humility given how many deaths happened on his watch because of the state's policies, whether it was about how they handled um, vulnerable people in nursing homes or other issues, you know, waiting so long to take action that was at the state level. Um, But I understand he's upset. I understand he's embarrassed about what happened in the state, but he should behave better, I think. Kudos where kudos are due. And here the vice president and the president responded very quickly. Uh, so I want to thank them for that. He has been good in delivering for New York. He has. He, is, uh, he has. He has delivered for New York. Uh, he is ready, willing, and able to help. Do I? I could go on, uh, Molly. I can go no. on for about ten minutes with different times, you know, just, which he's just been uh, been praising the president. And it reminds me of the situation when Andrew Cuomo was asking for 50,000 ventilators. And the Trump administration said they thought that he would be fine with, I think it was five or 10,000. And a lot of people, again, mocked the situation um, there. And it turned out that the ventilators that were provided by the federal government were the right number of ventilators. And Cuomo was wrong on that. Um, But, you know, he's had this kind of he, he praised the Trump administration back when he was in the thick of it, and now politically he thinks it's in his interest to condemn them. Uh, but he really needs—I don't know—I can't explain what's going on there. But I, uh, <laughs> he, he should remember that we have videotape of all the times. I know he should absolutely. Molly Hemingway can't thank you enough, senior editor for the Federalist, Fox News contributor. Great to talk to you, Molly. Thank you. Bye. You got it. Uh, we come back. Uh, we'll finish up with your calls and find out if there's more to know. I see uh, uh, everyone from, well, actually, uh, from Dayton to Long Island to New York City. We'll get to all of it. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right. Welcome back. We'll try to get in as many calls as possible. We've been so uh, incredibly patient. Gerard, listen, WRCN on Long Island. Gerard. Hey, Brian. Listen, I was a 20-year police officer. I'm Italian heritage. My parents were born in Italy. Um, I lived in Brooklyn, 60s, 70s, and 80s. It made the South Bronx look like a, a resort. This Cuomo is a punk. He lived in Lily White, Jamaica Estates, which was gated in Queens, okay? You couldn't get in there. I was assigned to him, not him, his family, a detail just for his house. Let me tell you something. If, if I was Trump, I would go into New York City to defy what he just said. This guy, it, it, and again, I, I'm Trump's a lot to... more popular than Cuomo with police, right? I'm sorry? Absolutely. And again, I'm retired, but I know Patty Lynch. I worked with Patty Lynch. We love, we love Patty Lynch, and we Police believe, of and I believe that Trump is the person for the next presidency. This Cuomo and de Blasio is a disaster. A disaster. All right. Thanks for the call, Gerard. Uh, by the way, the Republican governor, former Republican governor of Michigan, uh, Rick Snyder, has decided to be a Republican voting for Joe Biden. All right. Uh, great. I continue to foul up the water in Flint. Uh, Jason listening online in New York. Hey, Jason. Good morning, Mr. Kilmeade. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Uh, listen, I, I watched the attorney general's 
his uh, Wolf Blitzer interview. And, I, you know, as a law enforcement officer for the last 20 years, academy instructor, use of force instructor, the narrative of that racism is rampant and that use of force is just unmitigated to it, the police force is ridiculous. As you said before, 10 million interactions between civilians and police per year and less than 1% result in a use of force. All right. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate what you did. Here's Bill Barr answering that very question. Cut one. I think the narrative that uh, there's a, that the police are on some uh, you know, epidemic of shooting unarmed black men is simply a false narrative, uh, and also the narrative that that's based on race. The fact of the matter is it's very rare for an unarmed African-American to be shot by a white police officer. Uh, that's what he said, and Wolf Blitzer almost fell off his chair when he said it. Uh, let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, 48 years old, and his wife, who's 35, his daughter Jasmine and Tiana, all have tested positive for COVID-19. They said uh, for the last three weeks they are now they were sick for the last three weeks, but now feeling better. It's been one of the most challenging and difficult things he ever had to deal with. He said before. Here is cut 28. We picked up COVID-19 from very close family friends. And these are people who we love and trust. Uh, they're devastated that it, that it led to them infecting our family. So I guess he was sick for a while. Next, Macy's to open up smaller stores outside of malls for financial recovery. I'm pretty sure they might even be closing up 34th Street. They've announced they would close 125 stores in February. This is so depressing. The business switch includes the company's two department store chains, Macy's and Bloomingdale's. That, according to their chairman, quote, over the next, over the next two years, we'll open several smaller format off-mall uh, off Macy's, and we'll test a smaller format because most people are just ordering online. What can you do? Next, Alabama town that inspired to kill a mockingbird elects its first black mayor. Charles Andrews, 65, defeated incumbent Sandy Smith. Good job. Next, 65% of workers plan to work in retirement. Surprisingly few, though, actually do. Just 7% of current retirees who pledge when they retire to do something else don't do something else. That shocks me because at 65, you're still vibrant in today's if you take care of yourself and you have jake's don't quit drinks which just came out by the way but again if you if you want to work in retirement have don't quit and use promo code uh dq brian here's a question what do you i mean, know it's far away for you but when you get to that retirement age do you have any plan of what you'd like to do in retirement i'm thinking this just keep doing radio keep doing just radio do it from your rocker unless you think it's a problem uh, next, Iowa State University backs up a plan to have 25,000 fans at their home opener at Jack Trice Stadium. The initial plan to follow fans sparked considerable pushback, blowback. Uh, the game against Louisiana is set for September 12th. I guess they'll have less, but I expect it to happen gradually more and more. Don't you? It's, I think it's going to happen, but I think some of these places are just a little worried since it's only a few weeks away. But I think when you get to November, December, depending on how the, the, the areas are with clusters, we'll see fans. Yeah, I think so, too. I hope, really hope the Big Ten reverses their course. And hopefully Nassau County, Long Island, will allow those kids to play high school sports. That personally affects me, and I find it laughable that they're not, and tragic that they're preventing these kids from playing. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.